to the inaugural episode of Philosophy Can Ruin Your Life. Our first guest is Associate Professor Justin Clemens from the School of Culture and Communication at the University of Melbourne. Professor Clemens is the author of many incredibly wide-ranging and erudite works, primarily focusing on the intersection of philosophy, poetry, and psychoanalysis, starting with his 2003 doctoral thesis, which was published under the title of The Romanticism of Contemporary Theory. Justin is a contributor and co-editor of, among other things, Jacques Lacan and the Other Side of Psychoanalysis, a collection on Lacan's 17th seminar. Uh, he is also one of the translators of Infinite Thought, which, as far as I know, is the first English collection of Alain Badiou's work. Uh, more recently, in 2013, Dr. Clemens published his magisterial psychoanalysis is an anti-philosophy, which we're going to talk about in some detail this afternoon. In addition, in 2014, Dr. Clemens and his longtime comrade and collaborator, Dr. A.J. Bartlett, joined Dr. John Rothe to write a book called Lacan de Lars Badiou. Justin is also a poet and a literary scholar. His uh, collection of poetry include A Thousand FCUK Monkeys, Villain, and the multi-part mock epic in heroic couplets, The Mundiad, Sick Transit, Gloria Mundi. So, Dr. Clements, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Brian. <laughs> um, so, the first question I, I want to ask you, kind of jokingly, I don't really expect an answer yet, is how did philosophy ruin your life? Um, maybe, let me make that more specific. So, I imagine when you, when you uh, started studying, you were studying English. Um, how, did you, how did you come across psychoanalysis, which has been so important for you? Uh, when, I, when I was studying, uh, which was a long, long time ago in a, a galaxy far, far away, um, we, it, um, the, it was, it was the, the, the heady days of, of literary theory. And literary yeah. theory, of course, is a, what was it, is, is a kind of a, a grab bag uh, which philosophers tend to despise and, and, and not always without uh, justification of pretty much everything. So I, I remember when I was in first year, we had to uh, have the uh, dreaded... Terry Eagleton's ah. book, Literary Theory, was was actually uh, first year reading. We all had to have that book. Uh, we had that book, and it takes you through, you know, uh, f- feminism, psychoanalysis, Marxism, and uh, and so on. All these different like re- reader response, blah blah blah. And so, so uh, I I came across psychoanalysis like quite early as a university student like uh, like you know not 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 at all at school and you know there's something about immediately uh, cap- captured me about psychoanalysis which I, I still uh, are completely completely affirm in, in in a number of ways although with uh, you know with, with nuances is that I think is probably the most uh, radical and important intellectual um, intervention of the of the of the twentieth century still, and 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 above all in its you know its its obsession with something called the unconscious, what, what whatever yeah, whatever the unconscious is, and we I, I guess we can talk about it more. But the but the notion of the unconscious it seems to me like now you know if you don't have a notion of the unconscious, some notion of it, and there's various philosophical versions as well as uh, strictly um, I guess psycho psychological versions. I think um, you know you may as well you know you, you're better off dead. Yes, yes, I, I strongly agree with that. Still, 
start on, on, on this question of psychoanalysis. So psychoanalysis has, um, and, and you talk about this in a number of places, a particularly poor reputation at the moment, both yes. in the kind of uh, medical community, the, the kind of health bureaucracy of, of Australia, and Absolutely. perhaps particularly within certain kinds of, uh, but also within certain uh, philosophy circles, right? It's regarded as this, as this um, discredited, um, Nineteenth-century kind of Victorian curio. Right? That, that Absolutely. Serious to say uh, to our age about about, men, about the very serious issues of mental health and, and so on. Yeah. Given what you just said about the importance of, of, of psychoanalysis and, and the need for a theory of the unconscious, why do you think it is that psychoanalysis has been so, to use psychoanalytic mm. resistant? Why is there so much resistance <laughs> to psychoanalysis? Well, I, I mean, like all of psychoanalysis is a vast elaboration on its own impossibility. Yeah. Essentially, Freud himself says it is one of the, you know, one of the impossible professions, along with uh, education, uh, educating people, and, and, and governing and, and psych- politics, and yeah. politics. Exactly the three yeah. P's, like yeah. uh, we're all, all, all of which are impossible. I, I think, I think I would uh, would even now say that people have given up on uh, pedagogy and they've also given up on politics as well mm-hmm. as they've given up on, on psychoanalysis. Uh, there's, there's a number of things about psychoanalysis is, is, is such a toxic theory in, in so many ways and one of the things that, uh, that it does in, in almost all orientations of psychoanalysis which no one can abide is the is is it's, I guess, the, the, the psychogenesis of, the, of the, the, the pomposity of will and of intention of consciousness and so on as these, uh, what, what, you know, revolt, like kind of uh, revolting, although psychoanalysis doesn't resolve from the revolting as well, but a kind of uh, a, a, toxic, a, a toxic epiphenomenon which, uh, which, which uh, infiltrates the, the entirety of, of, of so-called reality and, in fact, is, a, is just an exacerbation of, uh, of the work as a kind of like ground uh, ground operations of, of, of human life and so that, one of the things about psychoanalysis is anyone who feels that their consciousness is you know that consciousness is all intention is all that in fact for, uh, particular forms of techne are all like they're, they're, they're for, for psychoanalysis is of course a, a kind of like toxic death drive of, of one, one kind of uh, an epiphenomenon of, uh, of that and, and people want to like you know therefore for all sorts of you know interlinked reasons want to obliterate the very possibility that you, know, you are not yourself like Freud himself says you know is the this third great revolution part of the third great mm-hmm. scientific revolution after after Copernicus, Copernicus Darwin yeah. and then and then and then and psychoanalysis itself Copernicus stuffs geocentrism Darwin stuffs the the, the, the descent of man uh, and and then uh, as Freud says you know Freud says you're not even master of your own house the you know part of the the, the genuine this is, these are the three great moments that Freud himself like notes in the development of, of a particular kind of modern science. Yes, so you, you see that the resistance between, um, to these three impossible things, the sort of yeah. decline of, of pedagogy and politics is, is linked to the de- decline of psychoanalysis or the, the repudiation or the disavowal of, of psychoanalysis. Indeed, in fact, what I see is holding all these three things together. It's like Freud is a Freud is, a, is is certainly part of modern science, even though for a, for a number of reasons, I, I do not think psychoanalysis is a science. It can't and shouldn't be a science. In, in, but neither is it a is it a, is it a religion or neither is it a, a philosophy. In fact, it's 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 its own thing. But it, it needed modern science for 
number of reasons as one of a, one of its preconditions. But one of the things about modern science, which which you know a number of commentators have, uh, have pointed out, like uh, uh, from ver- various uh, from you know I, I guess various various places, is that you know, modern what, what what separates modern science from the the, the, the alleged say science of the ancient Greeks or of you know medieval Arab mathematicians or or or, 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 or even uh, forms of say Chinese Chinese science is that the is is that modern science is born in a, a, a in the late 16th early 17th century or emerges with a new relationship on the one hand to mathematics like which it, which is inscribed at the very heart of the of, of its theoretical proceedings plus new forms of mathematical inscription uh, but simultaneously it has a very particular relation to technology and technology is a form of a I guess of a applied science that you see in in, in Galileo or you see in Bay, Francis Bacon in a in a in another way, but this dialectic between science and technology, which I, I think is, uh, you can, one can see running, you know, literally from uh, I guess uh, Copernicus to Freud. We're now in a, a different situation. We're in a situation in which techne is all like, and what's techne? Science itself is now subordinated to the technology with which it was uh, uh, imbricated in a, in a paradoxical but I- intimate fashion. From yeah, from yeah, yeah. And, and so what, 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 what ancient science didn't have, or ancient Greek science, it didn't have the integral relationship to technology. They weren't. But also, um, uh, but at the same time, uh, it didn't mean there wasn't forms of techne, obviously, or forms of science. Modern science is a particular relation between techne and, and science. We're now in a, in a, I guess as Heidegger would say, like the word, the planetary reign of technology, of, uh, and the essence of technology, as he says, is nothing itself technological. He uses the term gestell, or which often translates into English as in framing, but I, and while I don't necessarily agree with him that science does not think or techne does not think, uh, the, the the realm of techne uh, in, in in the particular form we're experiencing it now is a is a new form. It's not a realm. We're, no, we're no longer in the, the uh, I guess the episteme, uh, to use a, a, a term from Michel Foucault of of modern science. We're in a, in a, a reign of technology which is no longer linked to science as a as a form of knowledge that. Goes beyond uh, that goes beyond technological application. What is techne? Techne is a, is a form of the triumph of the will in in some some yes. ways. So a tri- a, the triumph of a, a concept that psychoanalysis radically undermines. E- exactly. Um, and but that's why pedagogy and politics and psychoanalysis all subordinated now to technical issues. Like yes. first and foremost, it's not whatever knowledge one has must be a kind of a, a, a like a, a pragmatism that is self subordinated to the dictations. Of you know technical innovation, and as we know now, it's it's basically a, a post-digital, um, yeah, post-digital networked in a in a kind of Silicon Valley type type. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this this reminds me actually. What you're saying reminds me that um, in one of the I think it's the second chapter of your book, Psychoanalysis as an Anti-Philosophy, the, the chapter called Love as Ontology. You talk about uh, the relationship between philosophy and psychoanalysis, which I'm going to uh, ask you more about in a moment. Yeah. Just in relation to what you're um, saying specifically now, when you when you talk about um, psychoanalysis in terms of love, you also talk about the crucial role in psychoanalysis um, of a kind of I suppose in, in both in Badgie's terms, you could talk about a dissociation between truth and knowledge. But you, you, yeah. you talk about it in relation to the, the evacuation of knowledge yes. that takes place uh, 
because of some of the phenomena that psychoanalysis talks about, like in the face of, in the face of melancholia, but also through the yep. process of, of transference that, that, uh, through, which, through which the psychoanalytic cure is supposed to, uh, to yep. operate. So from, from what you're saying, I, I see part of your, your argument here as, as the under the realm of techniques, we, we don't acknowledge this distinction between uh, knowledge and truth, right? Yes. So everything has to refer to knowledge, that which can be calculated, that can be seen to count under one of our pre-existing, uh, sort of uh, already given definitions of knowledge. And so psychoanalysis, yeah. it seems to me in your definition, escapes, escapes um, yeah. um, the modes of knowledge and yes. that determine what, what we count as real or as existing or as important in, in our time. Yes. Absolutely. This is a very important aspect, I, I think, of your work, and it, it, it reminded me that I, I wanted to ask you on this on this relationship between philosophy and psychoanalysis. So, so your book is called Psychoanalysis and Anti-Philosophy, and uh, I think mm. it is, um, as Plato would have said if he were Douglas Adams, I think it, it is a wholly remarkable book. It, it brings together a number of um, motifs from your uh, 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 Themes in your work from I think the last decade, so, so that's the work, um, the, the influence of Philosopher Alain Adieu, one of the, his, his first translators in the English speaking world. You can see this book clearly uh, the focus on psychoanalysis, the focus on poetry, uh, on art, on, on melancholy, on letters. And yeah. I'll more about that in a moment. But I, I, I thought, speaking of psychoanalysis and philosophy, that I, I asked you about, I, I suppose, the, the theme of this podcast. So, so in the introduction to the podcast series as a whole, I, I talk about the, the way that the idea of this podcast is to avoid um, both the sort of platitude mongering of people like Alain de Botton, kind of philosophy is this feel-good um, um, doctrine that tells you that tells you that it's okay to enjoy wine or to go about your life in the usual manner. Yeah. And on the other hand, a kind of this sort of sclerotic academic bureaucracy of philosophy. One yeah. of the reasons I, I think of you, I, I don't even be comfortable with the identification as a philosopher, right, is precisely because you're uncomfortable about philosophy, that you, you don't seem to to think that you know what philosophy is, and that to the extent yep. that you do philosophize and engage with figures from the philosophical canon, it's always in relation to uh, things exterior, discourses exterior to philosophy that trouble philosophy. So yes. some of those I would think are, are, are things pertaining to love, to eros, to sexuality, uh, the, the, the normal terrain of psychoanalysis, but also, also to art and, and, and letters. Yeah. So, uh, um, so on, on that level, can you can you say something about this this notion of one philosophy and its conditions, and two yes. philosophy and anti philosophy? Yes. I mean, I, I mean, just encountering Badju in the in the as I did uh, in the in the mid nineties through a like just a, a sequence of, of of accidents. But my friend uh, Ziggy Jotkin to mm. just come back from the states of all places where she was doing a PhD, and she said, "Oh, um, you know, have you?" Where I'm running a journal, uh, uh, it's going to be called uh, Umbra, and we're translating this guy called Badju. Have you heard of him? I was like, Borgia, of course I've heard of Borgia. Why are you, why are you, why are you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Like, can you? Like, exactly. Ziggy. And then she says, No, no, no. Uh, Alan Badju. 
no idea. So she said, well, we're translating this great. Uh, we need these, these four little pieces translated and we're, 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 all, we're doing them all. And, um, you know, we're, we're publishing this one, What is Love? Because yeah. mainly because we like the diagrams, which are crazy. So I said, can you show me? She showed me. I was like, wow. And then I, I started reading it and I stayed up the next, well, I, I didn't sleep. I stayed up just translating the entire article just for myself, not because I, think, I was, I, I couldn't understand why I was completely captivated. Right. Completely captivated. Right. And it was, it was, what, what Badger has done in that, in, 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 in that little piece, which is now, uh, I think, uh, available in English in the translation of, of his collection, Conditions, is he was addressing psychoanalysis very, very directly. And unlike so much of philosophy, which, which or so-called philosophy along the lines that you, you, you just described, whether the, 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 the kind of the, the, this horrific um, helping you to have a little spiritual supplement to enjoy a little better, or the, a kind of sclero- sclerotic bureaucracy of, of, of official tran- transmission, like, uh, which often rejects psychoanalysis out of hand, nonsense, rubbish, the curio, as you, you mentioned before, the 19th century. Um, Badger was like, no, I'm taking this, I'm going to take Lacan in particular, who, as we know, are hated by hated by so many um, so many people worldwide, and, and, and so intensely, uh, particularly as Chomsky says, you know, the man's a charlatan. Yes, yes, charlatan. I knew him personally, says Chomsky. Well, that's that, thank you for your evidence. That's <laughs> that's fabulous. Uh, leaving 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 the gnome aside, the um, who, who uh, is what what Badger was doing was was finding these strong points of psychoanalysis in Lacan, taking them with the utmost seriousness in their in the corrosive effect that psychoanalytic propositions must have upon traditional philosophical conceptuality and above all around the, the, the values of intentionality, consciousness and, 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 and so on. He was taking those attacks seriously and then overgoing them. And so in, in, in line with that, that, that kind of, I guess, Leninist injunction, you attack your enemy as his strongest point. The, you can, anyone can punch through a weak point, but you've done, what have you done? Nothing. Badju, this, I could see this, uh, this piece, which takes love very seriously for, for philosophy, like, well, of course, philosophy is nothing but a, a love of wisdom in, in, under one of the descriptions, and in fact, you know, Western philosophy begins with, you know, Plato and the, the problem of the symposium, one of the greatest texts ever, yeah, on, on love ever, well, maybe one of the greatest texts ever, like on, and, you know, and Badger was defending a form of philosophy against the most corrosive attack on the notion of love that, that, that has been delivered by psychoanalysis in order to regenerate a, a form of philosophical conceptuality that no longer has to, uh, no longer has to go through the, the, the kind of defiles of consciousness and intention in order to make genuinely strong conceptual claims and that are, that are no longer psychological but nonetheless are both uh, ontological and epistemological at the same time, and at the same time, not foreign to to, to whatever love is, to the the, the problematic of love, whether you, you see it as a relation to the other or as a kind of ladder to the to the transcendent, or one or the other kind of forms of bonding that that that, that the love has traditionally been held to to be uh, the you know the, the the major operator operator of. 
having having read this like the, the, this this incredible article, Badgers, I then became obsessed with reading the the, the rest of his oeuvre. It was the mid nineties, as I said before, and then of course his his masterpiece from nineteen eighty eight, uh, Lettre l'Evenement, being an uh, event. I, I had to or I ordered it from France. I was very excited, and then I, I just tried to work through that book as well as some of his other books, Manifesto from Philosophy from nineteen eighty nine, and the others that Condition, which which had been released. And one of the things that I found about something like being an event, which I really, really is one of the great philosophical masterpieces I've, 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 I've ever read, was uh, un- unbelievable attentiveness to everything that might be a threat to philosophy and the, that, 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 the absolute uh, conviction and commitment to confronting your enemy is his strongest point. And so that book begins with just like a, a really incredible sort of tripartite self-situation where, where he says, you know, where are we with philosophy today? Well, you know, people are probably against it. Like we have uh, Heidegger is the last universally recognised philosopher, like for, for his ontology. But at the same time, no one can, no one likes the ontology anymore. Definitely not in France, and definitely not where he's, you know, uh, in, in Anglophone analytic countries, where even though they recognise he's a philosopher of some kind, like they don't really like it. Because then, secondly, we have the the, the, the analytic philosophers, as Badger, who have who've, who've upped the, uh, uh, their attentiveness to logical and mathematical concerns, commendably, but at the same time, therefore, have lost uh, something around like the ontological concerns and certainly understand nothing about psychoanalysis uh, or poetry. poetry. In fact, fact, I understand, but, you know, whereas Heidegger certainly understands something about poetry and about being, you know, and elite philosophers don't understand either of those things, but they definitely are doing stuff with logic and mathematics. And then, but then the... the, the, um, the, you know, another form is the, the, the kind of, you know, the, the kind of extra philosophical assaults on philosophy at, uh, from things like Marx, Freud, or like, you know, like, like which is a, a, another of the, the key ways in which Badu situates himself at the, the, the beginning of that book. And then what Badu does by sketching through the self-situation says, I'm going to take something from all of these people in order to create a, cons- a constructive philosophy which none of them can assent to, but takes in all of their strong points. So from them, from analytic philosophy, I will take the logical mathematics. From Heidegger, I can take the, I, I will take the ontology. And from things like Marx and Freud, I will take the idea of a subject in process that that, that exceeds exceeds knowledge of, of one kind or another. And the, the, the book begins in that way. And then he says, then he, as he moves into his like incredible elaborations in the first half of the book of the, the ontology that is, is set theory, he also uh, proposes this, uh, this great option, which is of a kind of a deep uh, philosophical import, which is the, the antithesis between mathematics and poetry, which should already have been, op- you can already see is operating in the very uh, description he gave at the beginning. He says, look, there's only two, two forms of ontology, really. There's the, the poetic ontology, poetry 
aims to unveil, open, speak the world. And then there's mathematics. And these two modalities have historically been antithetical and irresolvable. And he says, I'm going to come down, and, and not only irresolvable, but so mutually exclusive that if you're going to affirm the, the uh, you know, mathematics as primary pedagogy, as, as someone like Plato does in the, famously in the Republic, it must be at the cost of the exclusion of the poets from that Republic. Yes. That, that, that very old battle of which uh, uh, Plato speaks there. And, and and the same thing continues today. Heidegger says no to <laughs> mathematics, which he unfortunately fuses under the heading of technology as if they were one and the same thing from his poetic ontology, whereas the analytic philosophers exclude, as, as you pointed out before, like poetry is that from any seriousness under the heading of, of mathematics. Now, what Badiou does is absolutely ingenious in being an event. He says, no, mathematics is ontology. Absolutely straightforwardly. Does that mean we now must exclude poetry? On the contrary, we need to have a theory of an event because if mathematics speaks being, we can't we can't simply exclude poetry from all philosophical conceptuality or the or the field of art. What does it do? It must name something. For Badiou, it then names the event. And the two halves of that book, which he, he uh, articulates in incredible detail and then uh, shows their compatibility using, in fact, forms of mathematical model. Uh, is the relationship between knowledge of being, mathematics, and then the nomination of the event, like of the inconsistency of the event, poetry or, or art. And so I found this unbelievably fabulous because for all sorts of reasons, first of all, I mean, you've pointed to some of them, like philosophy can't be philosophy unless it attends to its outsides. Yes. What are those outsides? There's a number of different kinds of them. Badiou is doing that, and he's doing that with the utmost strictness and seriousness and commitment then he's against this sort of the contempt that people and philosophers tend to show for things that they don't like I don't understand poetry, must exclude it, don't understand like science technology, must exclude it just like, no, we need them both what is the job of philosophy to think about how these these processes, these great processes of science or of the arts or politics or in fact of, of love how can we articulate that together? We have a task for philosophy. That is the task of the philosopher, like to, to, to articulate that. Now, uh, uh, you know, as, as someone who was so identified with, with something in psychoanalysis that, like, it, it was kind of a, a, an assault and a revelation to me, it was like, wow, that all of that totally makes sense, and I can completely, I, I, I'm forced to accord with, at, you know, everything that you say up to and uh, up to and including the the, the, the the animus of philosophy itself as being an, an attempt to to create a concept out of utter disparity without either reducing that disparity or uh, by, 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 by some form of forcing a unity upon them. Yes. So to keep the utter disparity and yet to be able to generate the, the compossibility, as he uses a term he picks up from Leibniz, of the, of the heterogeneous. He says elsewhere, I want to forge a piece of the, uh, of the uh, a piece, a P-E-A-C-E, yeah. a pax of the, of, for the, for the, for the, for the, for the war of heterogeneity, which can't... Um, so, you know, what can psychoanalysis 
So say, say, say back to that. Baju generates a further category which he takes, in fact, from uh, uh, Lacan, which is that of the anti-philosopher. And one of the, the, the things that Baju says then is, well, we have four conditions, philosophy, and only four conditions, philosophy. Mention them, science, love, uh, politics. They take place in their own real. They think in their own ways. They're utterly heterogeneous. But what does a philosopher do? It must link them all. But philosophy also has to listen to other discourses which also pick up on those things. And what he illuminated for me is something about psychoanalysis, which is absolutely there in Freud and Lacan, but I'd had no, no means of seeing it before, was what did I like about psychoanalysis? Freud thought he was a genuine scientist. He wanted to be a scientist. He was, he was trained at the best medical institutions of his day. But he, he always, what, what were the, the models that he drew from? They're most famously Sophocles. And I guess what I liked about psychoanalysis was it took the disparity and tried to... But science and poetry. Science, science and poetry. And then I realised that, well, Bajou thought, thinks of anti-philosophy as having things to teach philosophy because just like philosophy, anti-philosophy is concerned with human disparity like and, and the irreducibility. There must be, you know. I, I always think in a political frame of Hannah Arendt's, you know, anathemas at this point against, you know, why, you know, why must Eichmann die? Because you refuse to acknowledge human diversity is the most fundamental thing and you would refuse to live with that diversity this is why this is why you know this this is the most abhorrent thing philosophy must attend to that diversity so must anti-philosophy for Baju, anti-philosophy philosophy learns from it because anti-philosophy picks the points of philosophy and then goes uh, you're really bigging yourself up there mate or you're making an illicit sort of idealization from something which might just be a kind of uh, restricted anthropology Logical, you know, uh, curlicue, and then you're trying to project that into a kind of zone which has no no real bearing other than a kind of pathology of the of the of this, as Lacan would say, of the animal of the of the animal submitted to the subjected to language, yeah, the to the torture, the torture of language. It's, it's, that's, that's, a, that's an extraordinarily um, sort of rich answer. Thank you for that. I, I, and it, I, I know that. But but you will say that uh, there are there are different kinds of anti philosophies and you pick up on this. Yeah. So on the one hand, the importance of philosophy is that uh, to philosophy for for Badiou is that challenge that anti philosophy makes to philosophies drive towards consistency to yes. to, its, to its, its its rational imperative. You could say. Yes. And you kind of describes that. Um, the part of the task of philosophy is, is to be attentive to the anti-philosophical critique of the pretensions to rationality of the, of the goal of, of total knowledge or something like that, of its, of its aspirations to truth, yet anti-philosophical challenges often from religious discourses. Absolutely. So, so say Kierkegaard saying to Hegel, you may have this brilliant system that encompasses all of reality, but in the end that can't take the place you still have to fall in love, a very common motive of anti-philosophy. Um, um, suffer through the pangs of Aristophanes, of course, Marx is, is, sorry, he's an apology, calls him uh, uh, 
played his body before the rest of his, his um, sorry, his first accuser because he writes the clouds, which which sets off the vision of, of Plato. One of the world's greatest bumhole jokes ever in the clouds, where Socrates is, I think, or the philosopher is kneeling uh, on the ground, pointing his ass at the stars. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's a joke, right? And it, it has this, it recalls that kind of What does the philosopher see with? Like an organ? Right? <laughs> right? Not, not with his eye. No, right? exactly. So the, 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 or Aristotelianism, supposing obviously this is written by Plato, Kant talks about him mocking Plato's own cosmology of the spheres by portraying uh, the birth of Eros in human beings being these roly poly creatures with four arms. But coming back to, so so that's what Bailey says about the role of anti philosophy. So it's this challenge that philosophy is right to, but also kind of not succumb to philosophy. It shouldn't cross to the other side. Um, but he distinguishes, I, I think the distinction that he makes that you also make between anti-philosophy that you can find, say, in a, a, among uh, managers of tech yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, on the one hand, and in religious discourses on yes. the other, um, for whom people reject philosophy just because it, what it does can't be recognised in terms of what counts as knowledge for these discourses. Yes. And a sort of a, a anti-philosophy that you find in psychoanalysis yes. that maybe points to the power of the, the other conditions over philosophy, that there, there's something in love, there's something in politics, hence yeah. Marx and Freud, right? Exactly. That, that philosophy cannot, cannot master it despite its it, Exactly, but yeah. you seem to me to, um, and you work to, to nuance the, the category, the category further, so you reject the, uh, the, you're, you don't seem to be totally interested in those in the, the religious form of, of anti-philosophy, that's very sort of technocratic. That's right. In that general sense, but in looking at psychoanalysis and anti-philosophy, I, I think you posit a, a, a form of anti-philosophy that comes closer to philosophy's own uh, mission in terms of paying attention to the tension between different conditions. Between exactly. Exactly. Politics, exactly. So I want to ask you that at the beginning of that book, you, you say this fascinating thing, you're, 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 you write uh, this essay, which I'd like to talk about, about Freud's uh, papers on cocaine. And in that essay, you mention, uh, I think, I think wonderfully, that, that you see psychoanalysis not as a pre-pharmacological yes. um, um, uh, uh, theory, of, theory of the, the mind or the soul, but as That's a right. post-pharmacological one. And yes. something I think almost no one is pointing to go, oh, psychoanalysis, that was before we understood neuroscience. Exactly. Before we had SR, um, SSRIs, SSRIs yeah. and, and uh, but but you actually point out that no on the contrary, that Freud comes out of that biological medical yes. paradigm. Yes, he does. Something else. Can, can you tell us uh, a little bit about about why psychoanalysis is post Yes, abso- ab- absolutely. Like uh, to to go back momentarily, one of the things that I, I'd like to just mention about a great philosophical writing, which is kind of key. Key to something uh, that uh, that that we'll have to we'll have to come back to is that you know no one has ever doubted whatever they doubt about Plato his unbelievable genius as a writer right yes, and, uh, like and one of the things about this writing is that like I, I, like it's, it's, it's very difficult I think someone you know. Someone like uh, Jacques Derrida, for instance, is incredibly attentive. Also, even though you know, not a friend of psychoanalysis nor of Badiou, yeah. but but incredibly attentive to these, uh, you know, yeah, these uh, 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 to the to the to the to the writerly uh, aspects of of, of of philosophy. And yes. one of the things I, I said before, and I, I'd come back to it again in, in Badiou's own part of his own writerly sort of Cartesian. 
writerliness. He is Descartes, also an absolutely magnificent writer. I mean, you think about the meditations. They're like, try this at home. This is a DIY book for radical, for a form of radical, radical egalitarianism in a way. Like, if you don't try this at home, does it work for you? If not, write to me, and we'll include the objections in the comments boxes right. at the end of the meditations. Right, a new form, a new form of writing, like one that's egalitarian. Try this at home. Anyone can do it. Not neither, but neither to. Exactly. One of the things he always does, at the, almost always at the beginning of every uh, essay or of every tract, it begins with a self-situation, right? Like yes. I said, I, I mentioned before how he does it in um, in being being an event, but he, he does something comparable in almost every other other thing that I've I've, I've read of his, and that that's part of a way of saying we must situate ourselves first. So I, I begin the book by talking about like forms of a variety of forms of anti-philosophy. It's not meant to be a, a, t- a topology or an Aristotelian type. So taxonomy, it's not a taxonomy of that kind. What it says, look, just to, just to, let's just orient ourselves at the beginning. Well, where do we hear about anti-philosophy today? We hear about it from pretty much everyone. Yeah. Religion is con- con- constitutionally, in fact, I think almost all religions must be constitutionally anti-philosophy. Why? Because in the end, revelation must trump reason. There can't be, or, or, or perhaps in a, in a different form today, ethics must trump epistemology. Like, yes, you know, yes. that's just your opinion. You can't say anything about the way I live my life. Like, blah, blah, whatever you know, that's just what, so what? Right. So the, but that, that's a form that already is anti-philosophical and quite a, a straightforward, very familiar, almost universal way. No to philosophy, revelation will trump it. Or my practice trumps your reason. Yes, right. yes. So, so it's the first form of anti-philosophy. Not very interesting, not not necessarily not not without interest, but not not what I, I mean. Secondly, yeah. I wanted to say, well, what's the other anti-philosophy? Do? Modern science. You have all yeah. sorts of like dudes traveling the world now, mainly dudes like I, I, who? What's that? What's that? Horrible biologist. Sorry, I, I didn't say that. Richard Dawkins. Ah, oh, that, that's the man. It's like you know, oh, you can you can now be not only anti-religious, but really you're anti-philosophical. I yes. mean, his, why? Because science, my epistemology trumps any of your ethics. In fact, epistemology, my epistemology, like, no, come on, like, that's another form of quite simple-minded, it seems, rejection of otherness. It's a yes. quite a, like, so religion. I move from religion and science. These are two quite straightforward forms of anti-philosophy now familiar to us. Like and oh, too familiar. And then I, I, I start talking about something like art and well, why what art is anti-philosophy because it, it, it and I think this, but in a in a much more clever way because it doesn't just reject the science; it constantly absorbs bits of science in order to show, actually show, not argue, but to show how the scientist uh, performing this reasonable task ends up in uh, accomplishing the worst actions for instance, or, you know, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, so literature is extremely compacious, for instance, and art is extremely compacious, but, and it's much more subtle in its anti-philosophy, but once again, it really places uh, uh, the reason of, 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 of human beings as a kind of anthropological uh, um, 
maybe hypocrisy, anthropological right, failure, right. something. And so that, that's more interesting. But then when I come to something like philosophy, then I say name philosophy, the first and most rigorous of all anti-philosophies must be philosophy itself. Yes. Yeah, well, it has to be. I mean, like philosophy, and I, I, I use an image from uh, Hannah Arendt talking about you know, Odysseus's faithful wife. That is philosophy undoing the tapestry at night that she's done during the day. And so the weaving and the unweaving, philosophy is itself the first uh, uh, and greatest of all anti-philosophies. Yes. And I said, well, I'm interested in, in psychoanalysis. Is there something special about it as a, as a form of anti-philosophy? And what I, w- w- would, what I wanted to say is, this is where Badju helps us with the theory of the conditions. In the description, I, 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 re-description I gave you before about the, the, the eternal struggle between mathematics and poetry, where Badju comes down on the side of mathematics as a kind of onto-epistemology and then, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, poem as the nomination of the event and being an event can now be held held together and rendered compatible. The inconsistency the, uh, uh, and the occlusion that, that literature makes possible, which of course in its very inconsistency must be essentially anti-philosophical, and then the absolute clarity and rigour that mathematics provides. Badger said, you know, this makes philosophy a, a, a discipline which absorbs both the inconsistency and inconsistency in the concept itself. It's trans... Transact. Now, I, I want to say, well, what does psycho, why is psychoanalysis in, of interest to me? If you, you think about some of the modern anti philosophers who, who Badger also deals with, who he names as such, you've mentioned Kierkegaard, who's, of course, absolutely fascinating in this regard. But so many of them, two of the others who Badger uh, speaks of, one is Pascal, not, an, not, a, not an, a relevant form of scientist himself, in oh, fact, yeah. in fact assigned a kind of a scientific genius, yes. right? Yes. Then also Wittgenstein. Who you know, like who really you know, really knew what engineering was and what and, and mathematics as well. Yes. But they're, they're not hostile. They're, they're not. They're not rejecting the, the, the claims of mathematics from the outside. They know. They know stuff. They're not just doing it. They're doing it from from a kind of position of intimacy exteriority. And yes. one of the things that I realised, and this comes back to exactly what you are, uh, said about Freud. Freud, like a genuine scientist trained in the best medical institutions of his time. A biological paradigm. What, what does he do? He injects, rather than say, we must have a science over, like lording it over um, all other forms of, of, of human practice. No, we must say, no, something about literature is necessary to capture something undecidable within the, evidence, the biological evidence itself, and which knowledge, the knowledge that is given us by already existing materials cannot actually be given any decent conceptual grounding unless we supplement it with literature. In fact, it turns out that my, 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 what, what I would want to say about uh, Freud's particular genius is that he clearly renders his form of anti-philosophy is to inject um, uh, literature into science rather than, as I would say, uh, uh, vis-a-vis uh, philosophy, to inject uh, science into literature or, 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 or into right. art. And so it's an anti-philosophy in the directionality of its relationship between science, the science and art. That's inverted in the form in, in philosophy. You always wants the concept over the, over the inconsistent... Well, well, blah, and uh, whereas, like, uh, anti-philosophy always wants to show how inconsistency must 
dissolve or corrode? How can you hold them together? It seems to me that the anti-philosophies, the standard anti-philosophies you find in religion and science are really pathologizing rejections from the outside. Yes. Whereas what uh, links psychoanalysis and philosophy is like m rival modes of attending to the human di irreducible diversity is they're, 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 they rely on they rely on science and religion, which they themselves and art and which they themselves couple in different ways. And the, 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 the fundamental move of, of, of philosophy is always to try and curb the inconsistency of uh, opened by art, by uh, the revelation of inconsistency, I suppose, by the philosopher, by mathematical conceptuality or logical conceptuality, whereas psychoanalysis always say, no, we have, we, have a, we have knowledge, but something more has to be done in order to give that any... Uh, any, any the, that consistency is itself inconsistent unless it's supplemented by the inconsistency of art, which is the only way that we can render, like the, the say, biological materials of, or, or, or human activity, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, conceptualizable. Hence, you know, the role, as we've said, of Oedipus for, for, for psychoanalysis. Now, when Freud, Freud starts off, as we, as we know, as a, you know, does, does anatomy, like tries out all sorts of things. Unfortunately, being Jewish, can't get a, can't get a real job, you know, ends up, you know, trying to make his reputation on cocaine. Obviously, a terrible, terrible problem, a total disaster. But one of the things it's a, that is a happy disaster. Yes, it's like it's like well, he's then he ends up in private practice with Breuer, and instead of just dosing, being an expert doctor who knows. Yeah. He knows the science, and then on the basis of his knowledge, knows more than his patients, who he can then treat with a technical intervention of some kind, like cocaine or, or some other synthetic material. He realizes that actually that very relationship itself is already compromised by a form of kind of, I guess, institutional epistemophilia, which places you know, and, and, and which you know, and in fact, a kind of toxic, you know, a toxic assault on the patient's will is the very kind of, I guess, uh, model of what 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 dosing people for, you know, uh, dosing people with drugs is. To restore, like, to give them back the will. That's to right. Continue on the that, good exactly to be good, a, a good capital. And it's, it's probably just, well, there is a question, and this goes back to the, one of the fundamental philosophical questions ever, which, in fact, you know. Is, is often held in you know in the history of philosophy to found the very space of philosophy itself, and that is Socrates saying yes to the death penalty issued him by the state. Is the, the relationship between life and death, between uh, obedience and freedom, between you know between uh, and freedom coming to the point where is suicide a genuine act? This is at the, the, the kind of one of the, the ancient hearts of philosophy for psychoanalysis. We which deals with like in in in, in the practices which uh, which Freud listening to these his patients who are suffering from all sorts of bizarre like trans anatomical and physiological like pains trying to listen to them and uh, no they they have a reason we cannot see our reason is not up to hearing the reason that these people are expressing even if they don't know it themselves there is a truth in their body which is expressed by 
highest suffering, which is incomprehensible according to our, uh, from our forms of knowledge. And if we force our knowledges back in, we're going to end up with a bigger disaster itself. Let's see what happens if we, if we just keep listening in a, in a praxis, which is, of course, about turns out to be about love for psychoanalysis and about transference and the repetitions of love. Can we, and this is where the problem of technology, well, first of all, there's a truth of the subject that the subject does not know but expresses and expresses in a way that goes beyond anything that you as the expert might know. And your job as a doctor, therefore, as a psychoanalyst, is to treat a patient by listening to them rather than inflicting anything upon them from your superior knowledge. Because if there is indeed a truth at work which is bigger than the both of us, then you're going to have to listen very carefully, and you may miss it, The truth and the knowledge are separated. Truth and knowledge are separated at the cost of the suffering of the subject, but then this is where we come back to the, to the what is techne under the conditions of philosophy and psychoanalysis? It cannot be the techne of application, of pragmatism, of innovation, that we, like both psychoanalysis and philosophy, must, but they must have a techne too. And what, what, what in psychoanalysis, the techne is the, the strange Technology that is is the uh, the use the, the deployment the, the remobilization of the transference in order to help your the, the patient maybe helps even too strong a word the patient come to a kind of you know kind of almost revel almost religious or even literary revelation to name that to be able to name their own inconsistency by themselves but they can't just do it by themselves because of course you're just in a narcissistic circuit yes. and hence the necessity of an other there of a, of a kind of you know, indifferent other uh, uh, for whom this, this this kind of love relationship starts to, you know, un unfold. So I would say philosophy also has techne. And the, to come back to the very description with which you began, the, 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 the problem for psychoanalysis, we must avoid, you know, we must avoid uh, simply giving people drugs. I mean, it's not saying that drugs are in inherently bad, yeah. but just that that's all you can do. You have to realise that something more is going on in the relation between truth and knowledge that puts your own position at stake. Exactly. And it's literature that enables Freud to make that supplementation at the level of his uh, at the level of his theory. But that also goes back into the practice or the techne of, 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 of the transference to the extent that it's a, a techne at all. In philosophy, you know, as you said, you know, we have two two received dominant technes. One is you know, uh, philosophy is a supplement, spiritual supplement for living your life a little better, enjoying the good things of this world. That's a form of techne. The other form of techne is the, the pure transmission of, of, of knowledge through 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 a kind of institutional... Now, professional. professional. Now, philosophy, again, has a different problem. It must... Techne must have a must have a techne, which is a techne of transmission and of questioning. Yes. But that's an open question today. What are the spaces and what are the places in which that can still survive, like aside from... And, and, and flourish and flourish outside the you know, psychoanalysis has a has a comparable problem from its own own yeah, from its own side. But it seems to me that um, you know uh, it seems to me that both of these practices are, you know, absolutely threatened now by 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 kind of regime in which 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 we all have to we are going to have to come to terms with. And I think even though we can disagree with some of uh, uh, Heidegger's sort of uh, I guess 
explanations, descriptions, and uh, account of the genesis of how we've ended up at the worldwide reign of technology. I still think that's a it's a reasonable kind of um, thumbnail description for for what what threatens what what threatens us all as 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 as, 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 as yeah as possibilities for life, which uh, which which are now I, I guess biopolitics would be another another name yes. for this. Like, Techno, uh, you know, techno capitalism or whatever other monikers we can have, or biopolitics or worldwide right now technology. Like the corporate form itself, which is the the, the new the, the the new dominant form for the distribution and and like extension of these techniques into everyday life, give us no possibility. You know, no longer will impossibility be possible. I mean, is is one of the the formula I, I would give for it. Why must impossibility? Why must impossibility be made impossible? Like you. Uh, uh, well, we cannot have politics. What we must have is techno man managers, managers, management, management's What's management is the contemporary kind of paradigm of the expert, the expert who knows, who has all the information, who makes the decisions, and everything underneath them must be organised. The, the, the human resources at their disposal. Heidegger talks about this too. I reflect on so many people talk, but but just to have no, there'll be no gap in the chains of command, yes. command, control, communication, information, all of the other. Even no, no admission of a gap in knowledge. No admission of a yeah. gap, and that, that, and, and so one of the the, the, the formula I see for for, uh, for today, another formula would be to make the impossible impossible. That uh, that that must be part of its in, integral task. Yeah. In a, in a sense, to preserve impossibility. This, yeah, this is uh, what, what you said about psychoanalysis um, uh, in relation to anti-philosophy before bringing us to this this question of of uh, how we can. How we can allow the impossible to still be impossible? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. As as you know, so as that could, could sound like that, right? I, I think that that is a really excellent formulation for us. Philosophy is rather silly. I mean, let's I think buffoon, I mean, I don't want to praise the fool or the buffoon, but if you're going to risk something, it has to be. I mean, psychoanalysis can look exactly like a 19th century cure. I mean, in many ways it is. It's a, a silly little thing. It's Come on. Thing. I, 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 it's a certain poetry. Exactly. 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 But I think this is right. Without the risk of buffoonery, of comedy, and which is one of Plato's is perpetual. Absolutely. The, the risking the impossible, risking that which does not count within the situation. So even political exactly. risk has to risk the comic. Exactly. Right? Like, as in, if Absolutely. you will not be a fool, you will, you will never take a, a, a political risk and you'll be happy with a, a managerial product. Absolutely. But, but, yeah. sorry, I, I really wanted to ask you about, so I wanted to say something about this um, uh, unique, I think, description that you have of, of anti-philosophy in relation to psychoanalysis. It seems to me that you really um, develop uh, past Bedi's own conception of this. So where yeah. does Bedi group psychoanalysis in his generic category of anti-philosophy? It seems to me that you make psychoanalysis 
um, so, yeah, sorry, this sounds true, but less of an, uh, an anti-philosophy, but more of an anti-philosophy, right? Like, it becomes, yes. it becomes more of a rival to philosophy itself. And yes. I, I was really struck, and, and I loved what you said, where, where it's, it seems to me you, you make a distinction between philosophy, which possibly begins with the Socratic profession of ignorance, where that's, that's the sense that there's a hole in our knowledge, there's, yes. there's, a, there's, a, there's a hole in what counts as, as reality. Reality is larger than, than what we think it yeah. is, it takes more than what we think it is. Um, but by contrast, I think in the account that you just gave, you stressed that Freud starts with knowledge, right? And doesn't renounce that knowledge. Otherwise, no. otherwise anti-philosophy would be a sophistry that said, oh, well, exactly. everything's ineffable. What can we say yeah. about the, the unique human mind? It's all, it's all ineffable. We retreat. So Freud clearly doesn't do that. He thinks even though we're yeah. dealing with something that, as you said, challenges um, that our reason cannot Yes. Requires it uh, rationally, requires it in the way like if a, if a yes. mathematician's properly improved. The requirement is now to turn to letters as a way of not renouncing the rational goal. Absolutely, that is exactly exactly right. And, I, and, and that's one of the things. I mean, that that you know, Freud never gives up. He never no, gives no. up on the hope that in the end we'll just see. We'll get that. We'll get the twisted chemicals that cause yeah. this, and we'll we'll be able to intervene. He never gives up on that hope. It's so, a disgusting hope. But but you know, you know, there's the other thing about psychoanalysis. Like, well, there's this desperation of humans to 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 hive off something. There's an expert to hive off what you what you cannot bear as any costs yes. like like do you know the splitting like if all forms of psychoanalysis you know things like object relations particularly as it comes from Melanie Klein are so good at this it's like yes. like like you know this is a paranoid schizoid position yes. like you know can we come where we can talk about this in a bit to right. about to a to a to a to a to a, a, a position of mourning or a melancholic a melancholic position why yes of course you we've all lost our object that doesn't you know can we you come to you know some sort of not necessarily accommodation depending on all the different forms of psychoanalysis they have different uh, uh, kind of, uh, I guess, outcomes and accounts of the ways in which one, and they're, they're, they're all, they might be heterogeneous, and some of them I think are like foolish as well, but, but you know, it's, you know, that, we, you know, you can be, a, you can live in contradiction, and in fact, that's what psychoanalysis says, you, you cannot help but live in contradiction, and that contradiction itself is, you know, almost inaccessible to you, but nonetheless becomes something that always goes beyond the possible knowledges that you have at that, and psychoanalysis tries to, tries to attempt to something in that. Yes. So when, 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 when Lacan uh, talks about Freud, he says we must have a return to Freud. He, he's not saying that like Freud is a, is a, a world hero or an author, although he is, or, or, or an authority in which we listen to what his public state. He goes, no, Freud's wrong about so many things. Yeah. But the thing is that Freud wasn't wrong about was the right places in which one looks and if what one follows Freud's development from the... From the uh, 1890s with the studies on hysteria with Brower all the way through to the analysis terminable and interminable at the end. Freud is constantly transforming his own theory under pressure of, you know, under pressure of the evidence. And, and, and also realising that I need something. But he won't give up on the reason. It's just the reason doesn't look like the, the reason that he started with at the beginning. It's no long, reason is no longer to be identified with knowledge. It must, that must be separated. Truth knowledge is very... Uh, uh, that, that, that separation must 
take place and, and we must attend to it. And but also, what's the process of reason? We have to. We can't just like say, oh well, whatever. Dissolve it all into just like anthropological games or into one form of religious revelation or just say that's what humans do or just say these are just forms of game. They're not just just a, you know. Let's keep attending to that in, in the impossibility of that that gap, which is constantly vanishing from us and yet constantly like driving and directing the very modes of thinking that we can have about it. So you never you can't give up on reason for the anti-philosophy of psychoanalysis. Just the reason that it's pr proffering is a very, very different reason from the reasons that the reason that philosophy has historically historically proffered. Okay. Because and, identifying knowledge, knowledge and, and, and reason and in fact yeah. will will point that will, will suggest why in the name of reason you have to pay attention to the the, the whole in your knowledge. Exactly. Uh, which which exactly. the, the mistake you see because I, I you know of course when you when you talk about technology as you say Heideggerian sense, where we're not the, the essence of technology is not technology. You're advocating no. some kind of Ludditism. We're not talking about, yeah. about no, 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 no. Of, 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 of technicizing. And also, when we're, we're, when you're criticizing um, um, the, the anti-philosophical aspects of science, again, I think this is this is not a, a critique of science. No, no, that's right. About the, the importance of uh, to come back to the question of, of um, the origins of the scientific revolution. In, with, with regards to the kind of mathematization of, yes. of, of nature and the importance yep. of that foresight analysis. Absolutely. But in, in so far as you're um, uh, pointing that uh, some scientists uh, take the anti an anti-philosophical position, the reason that they do so, I, I think, from what you're saying, is, is not because of any flaw in science per se, but in a tendency of the scientists to identify reason with knowledge and therefore to go, well, what psychoanalysis talks about, we can't see what that is as a product of our knowledge, yeah. and therefore and yeah. therefore, it must not exist, whereas yeah. actually the rationality that drives science would push them to attend to these whole. So that brings me to this other question, exactly. I suppose what, what you call, um, and as far as I know, uniquely, um, although I, I know the term has a, 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 a important psychoanalysis, History, but but as far as I know, um, the attention that you give to this to this term in regards to anti-philosophy is not something uh, given by say Alain himself. But you stress in your readings of psychoanalysis and anti-philosophy the importance of uh, what I think you call sort of letters as a condition. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, you wrote uh, some of this is the work of Jean-Paul Lennon. Absolutely. And the, the focus of French psychoanalyst Jean-Paul the kind of psychoanalyst Jean-Paul Former comrade and interlocutor of Alain Badiou, absolutely. But, but this notion of of letters, psychoanalysis, which which I think uh, I want to ask you about because I think for you it's a term that connects the scientific condition for yep. both philosophy and psychoanalysis and the and the poetic condition. Yes. Letter is that which Could you could you say that? Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, once again, it, it you know the. This comes back to, to Lacan, who is always talking about the insistence of the letter in the unconscious and, yes. and, and so on. And, 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 under, and of course, under, uh, in, the, in the 60s, under pressure of, say, uh, like Derrida de la grammatologie and, and, and so on, is that, you know, the, the speech writing that Derrida makes par absolutely central to his, uh, um, uh, you know, 
early work that's absolutely central to those early workers is like actually br- utterly brilliant distinct the thing is is that it it enables Lacan uh, even though Derrida takes it as a critique of Lacan and it is in, in some ways Lacan has shown him the way yes. right? in fact yes. this is the other thing I would say about psychoanalysis is that historically the 20th century psychoanalysis either explicitly or in a disavowed or even unconscious manner has been used uh, by philosophers to polarise and guide them <laughs> without and Badger is just one of the first people to actually say, announce that, say, actually, I'm going to accept that I'm polarised by uh, psychoanalysis is the guide and the obstacle. Right. And he, he's, he's the one that makes it explicit. Yeah. Other people are, are less explicit in, 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 in how, how polarised, actually, that the force of psychoanalysis is. That does come back to problems of, hi- of history where something that you do everything you can not to mention because you never thought that you've thought that it's important to you, actually, as psychoanalysis points out, that's the most important thing you'll never know it. And so to write a history then become, of, say, the importance of psychoanalysis for 20th century philosophy become bizarrely speculative as a, as a result, but nonetheless much more interesting than the histories of influence that are usually oh, written in, in, in the... Tra- that, that's one of the things. One of the, the other things that Lacan does after, uh, after uh, Derrida's critique is returns to his own theory in a much more uh, radicalised way around making that distinction between speech and writing, and he does it with a return, in fact, to letters and to the history of, of, of letters. And yeah. Jean-Claude Milner, one of his uh, students, one of Badiou's interlocutors in the 1960s, Maoist, they've had another, uh, recently, another book has been released of conversations between them, which is oh, fascinating. It's, fa- it's fascinating. Anyway, they... Um, uh, um, what Milner does, he's a ch- to come back to our friend Noam uh, Chomsky. He's a Chomsky. Uh, yeah, he's a Chomsky linguist. Or essentially, went to he went to went to America, became a became a Maoist Lacanian linguist, like Chomsky linguist. Yeah, he's quite he's clearly quite proud. I mean, French snobbery. And and one of the things that Milner has done in a really really fabulous book from the mid nineties called Le Claire, the like clear work, which is a, a kind of a accounts of Lacan and uh, of Lacan's relationship to science in, uh, across the, the period of his work which uh, uh, Milner divides up very. Milner starts to attend to something that is very very important in the French history of science of the 20th century and which in fact Lacan himself has got not just from the Saussurian, from Jacobs and Levi Strauss uh, the linguistics, he's, he's gotten it from uh, Coire, Alexandre Coire, the brother-in-law of Cogev uh, Alexandre Cogev, lots of Backstory there, but yeah. unbelievable. And and Quare, in fact, one of the things he says is Quare takes up in, in his history, in his, his studies on Galileo and of, uh, from the closed world to the infinite universe and so on. He takes up something which, uh, from very famous statement of Galileo's, which is the book of the world is written in mathematical script. Yes. And he emphasizes mathematics. The Jakob Klein book, the very great Jakob Klein book on yes. mathematics on history, yes. also says exactly the same thing in another. The thing around no, we're critically, critically but 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 he, he says you know we understand we misunderstand completely modern science from the late 16th to the early 17th century if we do not understand that mathematical writing is now no longer just another way of saying the same thing right so no, and this is you know, once again uh, Galileo crucial in his own thinking on this and his explicit declarations around the mathematizing of uh, of nature now someone like Heidegger thinks this is an abomination and another, well, sort of another fall or another link to the, the kind of, you know, Descartes, another great mathematician, by the way, but, you know, yes. well, 
But what, even though none of these uh, figures agree, like Descartes and Galileo, you know, um, um, like Bacon, who's got a, a totally different, like all, all of these, there's a huge ferment around. What, what you can't disagree with it is that what it's now like the book of nature is written in a particular form of script, mathematical script. Quarry even says about Galileo, he says, you know, number, weight and measure. The Bible tells us this. Right? Everyone repeated it and no one believed it. Galileo was the most, one of the, well, he doesn't say this, but he plus the most religious man of the, the, the 17th century is Galileo, who took the Bible seriously by saying everything is in number, weight, and measure, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I, didn't, so. I didn't know that, although it makes me think that, that someone, like, someone like Kepler definitely also has that. Indeed, he does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And indeed, this is why, you know, all of, like, like, you know, uh, Peter Harrison's just got a new book out about the history of the development of the relationship between science and religion. It's quite, quite a, a fascinating book. But, I mean, really, like, no one who takes anything seriously can say that, you know, religion and science are absolutely imbricated in a very, very peculiar and in a complicated, intense ways, right? And but the thing that's so crucial about the 17th century for for, for Quare is, you know, it's mathematical script, not not Latin, yeah. you know. And in fact, we can see an explosion in philosophy of the vernacular. In fact, rising the vernacular of the 17th century, I think, within the, the philosophical uh, tradition at that time. Why can you write in the vernacular? Because it's no longer for the first time in a in a, in a big way, and you make it part of uh, as, as Descartes does, yeah. part of his philosophical project itself. What how, why does that happen? Because now, if mathematics is the, the, the book of the world, all natural languages just become natural languages among each other, and you can write just as well in Latin or French, but you're saying exactly the same, you can say exactly the same thing, a new epoch in, in translatability right. for, in some way. So even the lingua franca becomes, like, becomes like, it forces the same Absolutely. the vulgate because it no longer exactly. this, this hell that is because that belongs to the language of mathematics. Exactly, exactly, exactly. This is what Milner does now by taking up retaking up Quare and taking up Lacan's reuptake of Quare, like um uh, Milner says, well, let me emphasise not the not the mathematics of it, that's been done and that's all true, let me emphasise the, the, the writerly, the letters, it's the letters that are crucial um, rather than just, in fact, science must take place in letters. What is the ground on which both writing, all forms of writing take place? It's it's letters themselves. Let's 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 look at the, the ways in which letters can be deployed and mobilised. And what you end up seeing then is that, well, in a, in a non-Badjuian sense, in a Milnerian, psychoanalytic, Chomskyan, whatever Maoist sense, what you, you, you end up seeing is that the, the real ground of, of anything approximating being is the way in which letters can be deployed and mobilised. And mathematics would be that discourse which seeks to render all uses of its letters utterly consistent from within the letters themselves, whereas something like the poem would be to radicalise the resources of those letters letters such as to deploy them in such a way that these letters now fall in a way that no one's ever seen before and that would then be the a kind of uh, a new a new ground and it's of course it's a non-ground the relationship between a, a, a score and its and its ground like Malame of course the yes. it becomes uh, another 
kind of great figure in this. So I take that Milner thing seriously along uh, along those lines. That on the one, lessers are the condition of all conditions on on, on those grounds. Lacanian psychoanalysis takes into account the Derridean um, uh, critique. In fact, writing's already there before what we call writing is is writing. And at the same time, it gives us now uh, like a, a, a kind of uh, a kind of new way to re-describe mathematics as the attempt to render imminently consistent in and through the letters themselves. The consistency becomes the essence, whereas in poetry, to, to, for something to, to be shown that was never shown before in the, in the deployment of letters, of course, those letters can be gestures as much or, or like words yes. and, and the thing. But it's around, however that's done, these are now kind of plato- almost platonic re- attempt to kind of a platonic Redescription of what mathematics and poetry might be under the conditions of, 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 of uh, letters as the conditions, the conditions of conditions, um, and it has other other consequences such as you know you know my my deep uh, uh, enthusiastic abhorrence of say object-oriented ontology, and, and one of the problems I have is, is that letters are not objects like, like yeah. you know or, or or you know this entire lineage that that is uh, you know Lacanian, Derridean, Milnerian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malamean yeah. is that there is no there, no objects are down, very very downstream of inscriptions and inscriptions as Milner says letters they're no longer forms they're no longer beautiful forms yeah. at all they're, in fact it doesn't matter what form they take in mathematics you know we'll take the variables A B C take the variables X Y Z take the vari- it doesn't matter what you use as, you know that that's preci- it becomes indifferent mathematics is the rendering consistent of the indifferent materiality of its material like whereas poetry will actually up that sometimes down into into the the, the resources of the uh, tiny idioms of a particular natural language they're, they're very it might be very small that though those poems but they're just trying to unleash something uh, something totally inconsistent in the use of letters whereas mathematics s- struggles to render them con- uh, the the materiality indifferent uh, poetry renders the materiality like as inconsistent and patent as possible and these are both transformal uh, uh, and yeah, transformal kind of definitions, I, I guess you could say, or, 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 or attempts to model a kind of the logic of of, of these yeah, these, yes. these antithetical modes. Yes, it seems to me that you um, this focusing on letters as a condition in relation to, to poetry that yields a kind of uh, a quite a quite radical poetics that is not at all um, a, a romantic sort of vision of poetry or, or a hermeneutic. That's not, no, that's, that's right. Where, where, where in this conception you're, uh, to, to, by doing things you're no longer suturing truth to, to sense or meaning like absolutely poetry is no longer about meaning and in the first instance it yeah. seems to me that, that instead what, uh, what you're insisting on which I think is, is, is something that would be perhaps impossible to say without poetic figures like Manonite exactly uh, that, that, that you're talking about poetry that while you can speak of something like a sense effect right where there's a, there's a kind absolutely. of Kind of semblance uh, of meaning that it can evoke affect in all of those absolutely poetic ways. However, it, it, it's almost like uh, meaning comes out of an uh, indifference to meaning. Uh, yep. Analogous, if if paradoxically analogous to that which you find in in, in the 
but with regards to the latter and the natural sciences. Exactly, and, and in both cases, I mean, like, like sense and affect are derivatives of letters, like yes. in that in, in that sense. Which is and exactly and, and and also uh, but but for me I, I, it gives a kind of flatness a kind of there's a level then like the the, the literalization which is another way of taking up what something like the, the the you know the computing revolution has shown us from Shannon and Turing to the present which of course founds you know Shannon himself in his MA thesis is the person who shows that you know like um, you know logic and 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 um, and computing can come together in the in the form of like logic can be modelled in the form of like uh, you know like um, electrical circuits yes. and vice and 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 vice versa like what an unbelievable and then Turing with his decision problems and the theses around the oracle machine and so on it seems to me that this needs to be taken seriously in a way that if you simply say with Heidegger the world bright wide reign of technology or whatever then you just reduce computing to one or another of the technologies that are that are governing us today and to come back to what you said before this isn't to say we should reject any of the we're not the point is not to reject them it's to but the point is to think them but we cannot think them if they're trying to like render impossibility impossible so let's go to go back to the the problem of computing in the way that I just like stupidly uh, like indicated it was to say that no one of the things that does come out in this in what I've just said about mathematics and letters one of its preconditions is the digitizing not not the mathematization of nature anymore but say let's call it the the, digi- the digitizing of all nature in the form of these you know the the, the universal machines that are that are that are computing and networked uh, you know networks uh, network society as they say I, I think that this still gives us a new uh, another way of speaking about something singular about mathematics and poetry that isn't reducible to computing but recognizes that something in computing has forced uh, at least a transformation not only of our behaviors but of possibilities for thinking and what can we now think after computing which is a great leveler of between the, the natural and the spiritual world like in, yes. in, in, in some ways no more as a transcendental empiricism as, 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 as Deleuze Gilles Deleuze might say but now this is a way of saying yes, there's a leveler there's no higher meaning of spiritual or even there's a more degraded or revolting thing yeah, to yeah. expose like this is uh, sorry my other problem with much as I love some things about Lovecraft and about Cthulhu is I you know you know you know, let, let's not over. Let's not hyperpathesize the the like like the Cthulhu like uh, either like the, the, what the description I've just given you of letters is the condition of all conditions. One of its conditions, I think, is itself uh, the, the 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 kind of the Shannon Turing epoch and the epoch of post cybernetics, right. but also refuse, but but also and comes out of them. But it's a leveling and a, a de-effectizing and a desensifying of what we can now say about the, 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 the deployment of letters that also doesn't simply reduce them to games of, um, of, of, of worthy of just one redescription or another, like the Wittgensteinian thing. Something else is, is still going on. So you see I'm trying to negotiate between a number of like perhaps incommensurable sites or something, but I, I see that as part of part of what, what, what it would mean to be, you know, to continue to, to yeah, to try and, and do philosophy or, 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 or think the consequences of psychoanalysis today. Yes, yeah. I, I, I actually, I, I, I mean, I haven't heard you talk about this before, and, and, and I find it fascinating because I, I, I think 
whenever the relationship between uh, nature and technology is, is spoken about, it's always used by papers. And I, I think it reflects yeah. the potential it's, it's either this kind of will we lose our humanity and this, you know, yeah. tomorrow, or perhaps, you know, imagine the, the, you know, the, the, these kind of Gnostic visions of spiritual exactly. transformations through the realm of digital, etc. Exactly. And, and I, think, I think you're right to say even, even Lovecraft's horror, right, is kind of, is kind of predicated on, on the idea of a, of a, some sort of originally separation between these rough substances that, that collapse into each other is disgusting. But I think I think what you're saying is, is right. That the, the, the challenge for us today is to think the fact that these two domains have collapsed into each Absolutely. other Absolutely. under the reign of digital technology. And, and yeah. perhaps the, the tension that poetry and psychoanalysis and the mathematical sciences uh, play, that not technical science, but mathematics exactly. takes two letters, is a condition thinking our epoch, thinking the world is emerging. This thing in the world makes me want to actually think, thinking about our world and, and, and psychoanalysis. I, I've wanted to ask you a little bit about um, melancholy, which is also the focus of monitoring uh, chapters in psychoanalysis and antiphonsy. Um, of course, in, in the, I suppose you could call it the phenomenology of melancholy, yes. that predates uh, phenomenology as a personal sense that, that, that within Renaissance and medieval treatises on melancholy, there's, there's this focus on melancholy as being connected to something like a loss of the world. Right? Yeah. You take this you take this up in your chapter in psychosis in an anti-philosophy, this relationship between melancholy as a loss of the world. When yeah. you discuss melancholy in its traditional psychoanalytic sense, where for Freud's opposition between morning and melancholia, also Freud's um, Focus on the, the shadow of the face, like the shadow of the uh, objects falling apart, falling apart. You go, you go, yeah. the, the, the sort of obliteration here. But uh, sort of perhaps going beyond psychoanalysis, that uh, when you come to treat melancholy, which of course under the name of depression is a sort of uh, spiritual scourge of our, of our epoch, along with yes, yes. when you come to treat it, you go to a very different philosopher to analogy, um, the philosopher uh, George O'Gamblin. And you talk of his the links that he makes between melancholia and fetishism. Again, yeah. uh, uh, I know of no philosopher, uh, no gambling scholar who who notes this sort of uh, silent dialogue with psychoanalysis that yeah. seems to occur in, in a gambling corpus. I mean, I, I think I think there are clues to its existence in it, uh, uh, in relation to say gambling's references to Jean Claude Milner. For example, but, uh, just maybe you could uh, tell us a bit about the, the importance of melancholia, yeah. both, uh, uh, both in relation to literature and uh, uh, psychoanalysis, and, and again, who we haven't discussed. Well, we haven't, we haven't spoken about it. I mean, one of the things that I, I mean, I, like I always think that you know, even though I say that, uh, like. Properly, uh, like, like strictly speaking, must, must consider sense and an affect as derivatives of letters. Nonetheless, that's not the way that we come to things. Like, right. and so I, I think I come to things as a kind of slightly haphazard enthusiast for like uh, things which I really like for some reason I'm captured by. But it turns out that they're all completely uh, antithetical to one another. Like, and in fact, you know, they, they shouldn't be brought together. We're back to the the, the, the I guess the the originary theme of this yes. this, this this discussion. And uh, like, well, I. I encountered a gambit about the same time as I encountered Badju, and the problem was they're so antithetical that, like, I, I mean, I was just like, but I love you both. Like, I'm very enthusiastic about both of you. Well, 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 is there a way in which? And one of the things about, I mean, there's a number of things about a gambit that are extremely. Uh, 
interesting. Like he comes out of a much more, you know, quite explicitly Heideggerian tradition yes. than, than someone like like Badger, and and probably much more so than 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 Lacan. Once again, as you said, I believe that Gammon's polarised by psychoanalysis, although not in as, as explicitly uh, expressed a way as uh, as Badger. But also one of the reasons for that is because his uh, one of his other masters, along with Heidegger, is is none other than uh, Walter Benjamin, who yes. of course another great figure of left left melancholia, I, I suppose. What you know? What is it about melancholia? Mel- why is melancholia so interesting? Because for all sorts of reasons. But historically, like how is that you can have an affect that isn't an affect? You're yes. both you're both alive and dead simultaneously. It's an early form of the zombie in in many ways, both alive and dead. You're surrounded by everything in the world, and yet nothing gives you. It's an utter lack of enthusiasm. And so I, I became enthusiastic by the idea of of the the, the, the problem of depression, essentially, yes. of melancholia, the, the 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 loss of the world itself, as you said. Even though as you're saturated by the world. Now, Agamben does this great thing, which he he, he definitely finds in, in in Benjamin, and then like re I, I guess re re represents it, which is this is a figure of absolute hope that the, the medieval theologians considered axedia or melancholia the worst of all possible sins. Yeah. Why? Because the soul knows of you know the the, the route to God and refuses to take it. Like you you and you've lost you know. Well, well, What's going on? This is the, the an appalling sin, worse than gluttony and can be hubristically indifferent to the to this exactly. world. Like all exactly. the are laid out before it, like in two tourists. Exactly. And yet and they remain completely indifferent. And so this yeah. is this this sloth as a key or yeah. something is this, Absolutely. this depressive state is a is a kind of defiance of God. Absolutely. Yeah. A- absolutely. Like, and, but without it being, let's say, to come back to, to as you, you phrase it, without being Gnostic, it no, doesn't, no, right, no, like, no, it, no, it, no, like, it's no. a very interesting, like, li- living death or, or, or that at the same time refuses to die, but refuses <laughs> to live, yes. is in the world, but refuses the world, is like, like, is, like, would spit in the face of God if it had that energy, and yet it's not, it's not. What, what is, the, what is this, 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 this radical creature? And, and uh, you know, this is where the, the, the problem of melancholy in a very, very different way. Badger is not melancholy. In fact, he's an insistently gung ho. Let's put it in the rucksack. Let's get let's get marching down to the, to, to the to the demonstration. But but something also you know something also gets lost from 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 that description, which is these uh, extreme. But nonetheless, totally banal, quotidian, everyday forms of, I guess, ex- extreme desœuvrement, as, as 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 we might say after you know, uh, uh, yeah, Blancho, and, and in fact, I think the term's coined by Kojev in oh, fact right. in the review of Cano's three of Cano's is, books. Is the, it, the, is it translate something in, in Hegel, like maybe even maybe even? Ah, yes. Not not Alfred Hegel, but some related. Yeah. But this thing of uh, uh, what was the normal translation? In, inoperativity. Inoperativity. Yeah. Inoperativity. Or as you know, Walter Benjamin says, dialectics at a standstill. Yes. What yes. would be the greatest image of dialectics at a standstill? Well, one of them must be the, the image of the melancholic. That is dialectics, utter contradiction in a single body, both active huh. and passive, both both in the world and not with the world, and, and, and you know, both work, not working and yet refusing somehow not to not work. You know, the, yes. the, this this paradoxical figure. Of like radical subjectivity is also is also the moment at which it seems to me if, if I could reduce 
you know, reduce it back to a kind of literal, like a stupid literalism again, is that the mel- what was the melancholic, the, the herald of, is the inscription of time in the present as a pure mark. Why? Because whatever the melancholic has is there, but it's been lost at the same time. And so that that is the most, it seems to me, the most minimal formula for time. The, a pure mark of the past and the present without there necessarily being any past. That there is the temporal difference. This is the Heideggerianism or the or the, the, the mess, I guess something about Benjamin, this messianic melancholism, is is uh, uh, is that uh, the pure mark, uh, just a pure mark of, of time as such, in a yeah on a flat level, <laughs> on a flat level levelled surface. And I see uh, what what a Gambin does with the the, the figure of the melancholic, which um, he goes beyond Freud uh, uh, again and even even beyond Lacan in this because he it ends up featuring in, like, in Agamben's own work as a way of him returning ultimately to someone like St. Paul and rereading in the letter to the Romans the, the problem of the hosme rather than the as if of, of, of simulations which the melancholic runs the hosme is the as not and once again new forms of negation that, are po- that we can generalise and see uh, which have now become, uh, which have now become uh, possible for us to try to think. Um, uh, at, well, once again, as a uh, you know, as the question of letters becomes 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 paramount. So yeah, I mean, you could even I could even say that the 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 the, 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 the subject that a gambin posits in so far he wouldn't use this language, and this is a, a bit simple, but uh, but but you know, it is necessary to think expressly after Freud in particular the problem as I said not not just of the contradictions of the subject but of the consistency inconsistency of what a subject is yes. and these figures that, that are gambling studies of the fetishist the melancholic after Benjamin in that case all the way back to, to St. Paul and the, the living as the, the Hosme the as not yeah. the as not ways of thinking uh, like different consistent inconsistencies under forms that are not simply that of classical negation and it, it's true. We also live in an epoch of not only classical logic and intuitionist logic from from Brower, but we live in a in an epoch of uh, of paraconsistent logics, you know, the, uh, where the very question of what the consistency of consistency might be itself can sometimes be thought such that logically one can see how certain contradictions might under some contradictions might be true under you know in certain circumstances. Now I see this as the trace of the subject re-entering logic and. That can be registered only after something that's completely asubjective, the mathematization and well, the, the electrification of logic accomplished by, by Shannon and, and Turing. Yes. So that, 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 that if you if you can yeah. see the, the, the strange dialectics of that. That's that well and then once again I see that I, I see all of this as as, as part of what what, what, what what I think uh, you know what we can try and think through now like is you know what is the impossible impossibility of the these things. Wow even consistency itself has now come under kind of a, a strange scrutiny and, and the, the subject now can be reinscribed within, you know, the trace of the subject as inconsistency. Not a human subject necessarily, but the, of the subject. It's the other right. thing of our, our times. So yeah, so, yeah that, that reflection, that taking of inconsistency to consistency uh, is it, it, turning, like, when we're talking mm-hmm. about paraconsistency logic, of course, not in the name of consistency, like, it's not that paraconsistency logic doesn't just exactly. invoke, like, uh, sorry, it's not just a sort of um, mythology that, 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 
Beatrice declares the irrelevance of logic, like no. the it sort of goes through a sort of logic in order to in order to find these 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 moments which seem to define logic as we as we know it and thus force. Exactly. And, and whatever you think of it, 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 one of the consequences of this, another, this is a great consequence, even though it's also terrifying, is that, and it really is linked, might I say, to like, like to what people call decolonization or de-Europeanization. Like, I, and why do I say that? Because I think now it forces someone like Graham Priest. What, what does it mean? He now rethinks Buddhism and what, what like part of the, the Buddhist logical tri- writings are under the heading, he, he realises the paraconsistent logic. Maybe actually uh, Buddhism offered a paraconsistent yes, logic yeah. of, of, a, of, a, of a rigor and an intensity. So there's a, the, what, what are, you know, the deterritorialising of global capital, the planetary reign of technology, deleterious as this is in so many like horrific ways, because we are at the, like, the, the, the very edge of the environmental, you know, uh, consistency of a certain, you know, trans-epical thing of our planet, quite, yes. quite clearly. Still, what are new things that can still be thought in which now we, we, we can have, like, you know, things that could never encounter, were never able to encounter each other, can now be encountered and given a new full, uh, you can attempt new accounts and new thinkings of these, of these like, utterly ridiculous montages, paraconsistency and, and, and Buddhism, for instance, or, you know, like Francois Julien in France does some, you know, what is the universe? What would be the condition of the universal and the condition of the world thought? Like, I, I, I don't know if I, I can enter into this discussion. I just want to note it as part of we are now, you know, if we're going to be genuinely global, let's think genuinely globally. And sometimes that might just mean reading nothing but ancient Greek, right? I, I don't mean, do you see what I mean? I don't, I don't mean that, that anything necessarily follows, except there are genuinely new possibilities that bring you inconsistency to consistency to, radical, to radicalise and extend the realm of reason within inconsistency itself or <laughs> I, 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 I didn't sorry I didn't mean to say that any of that but no, no, uh, I, I didn't there's, there, yeah there's something kind of quite classic to um, Marxist I think and when you this to say that I think, I think I'm afraid that's where, true where, where, yeah. no no I, I, I don't think <laughs> but, but where it's something about the, the kind of false universality of our situation yes. also in, in various ways points to the possibility of a, of a true universality yes so it, exactly it, you on one hand get this, this exactly sort of, uh, hegemony of, of kind of particular interests dominating the planet this yeah. sort of the, the planetary ol- oligarchy of global capitalism is somehow yeah. on the uh, we also get the possibilities of, 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 of new lines of affiliation, new possibilities for, for a, a new international and an uh, yes, 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 really. Yes, yes, yes. And Derek would, would say indeed. Exactly. So, so as, a, as a kind of like um, this, this may be my, my last question, but um, just, just if I could return to the figure of the, the melancholic for a moment and try and link this to your, your last remarks, I mean, what are the things you, you know? You mentioned uh, you contrasted Gambon's uh, uh, famous sort of uh, melancholy. Enthusiasm, I suppose, is quite. Um, but uh, one of the things you know in psychoanalysis and anti-philosophy, I think, absolutely crazy is the way that the gamut makes the like actually focuses on a strange kind of joy inherent in Exactly. Which is present in the psychoanalytic account, which of course is not saying the stupid and obviously false things that the melancholy would be happy, but rather that that in that so so where whereas Freud characterizes melancholy as uh, as there's an element of where morning you, you move through your grief and you and you 
accepts the loss of the object, not yeah. only refuses this loss. Yes. You draw a connection between yes. the fascist's disavowal, the fact that the fascist knows something but refuses to acknowledge it, and you, you draw on something radical and again that links actually not only fascism, this refusal to, to mourn an object, to creativity yes. uh, by this extraordinary hypothesis that the lost object of the melancholic is like in fact is not a lost object, is is an object that has never existed. So, exactly. so it's like melancholy exactly. as a refusal to mourn a lost object <laughs> and the kind of persisting in the joy of refusing to mourn that lost object. And the only way you can get out of that object, uh, sorry, of, of that situation is to find a, an imaginative solution um, exactly. uh, to, to, to this predicament. Can you say something about Look, uh, uh, I guess uh, that, that was like beautifully put. Uh, I, 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 I think I uh, like, but but yes, I, I, and you can see exactly like I guess this is a formula that's becoming apparent in our, our conversation for for what I think is absolutely, you know, probably maybe maybe a, a line of, of, of what what I, I do I, I was myself doing without realizing it. But taking utter contradiction, you know, utter contradictions, like I like I like Beju and I like a Gambon, like can I. Hold it's yes. like, can you take this and this and hold them together? What Badger says about, can you take this and, and like, what 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 a Gambon has done is also is is doing that. Th- well, well, they're all doing that thing in their own ways. Heterogeneous philosophies, but both great. A Gambon's doing it with these figures because there's always the problem for humans, which psychoanalysis must always remind us of of embodiment, and that is something that and that embodiment is a kind of impersonal embodiment. And yes. what, what 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 a Gambon is doing. Is as opposed to, to Baju, for whom the figures are still, they might be living, but they're really like Plato or, they're, 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 you know, they're the great, they're, they're the great, like, public anonymity of the, of the philosopher's proper name or something. Yes. But, but, but in a game, no, we have to live our lives, and this is where it comes back to the, to the you know, the, 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 the revolting philosophies advising you on, on, you know, how much to eat or, or whatever, well, whatever. Uh, is that, no, the, the only things where, where our lives where, where something's going to matter to our lives is where we're at the limits of those lives and the fetishist the melancholic the messianist the like I, I think at the end of, of, of psychoanalysis I have the I guess the fanatic or the enthusiast of the the schwermerei and, yes. the, and the, the swarming the swarming which seems kind of extra rational and they are extra but you're at the very limit this is a chance to think it's only when our bodies in one way or another and they can be very heterogeneous bodies this is again to bring a universal a, a truer universal out of a false universal and to both assent absolutely to, to our particularities in order to find the genuine, the, the joy and the universality that, 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 that links this utter heterogeneity. Maybe, maybe, maybe we could finish on that. That, is my, that would be my uh, kind of formula for my, my, what, what I would love as an idealised project for thinking, like out of the deadlock, something new must come. Like, and that's the, and, but that deadlock is not to reduce the heterogeneity is to find a new, well, you know, to find a new use for things, or uh, as one, uh, as, as a Gambon might say, or as a, or to, to generate a com, uh, you know, a, a, a concept of compossibility, specific comp- compossibility out of the, the particular heterogeneity of these. Uh, antithetical universals. Justin Collins, it's been an immense pleasure. Um, thank you, thank you so much for attending. Uh, you certainly ruined my life. I hope, I hope this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Thank, thank you. you. Uh. <laughs>